Hey, Pastor Steve wanted to be here this morning, but he actually had, he had a little incident where he hurt his jaw and his arm. He is okay. He did not fall off a roof. He's fine, but he had to take care of that this morning, and so be praying for him. He will be back next week, and I will tell you, he will have a great story that you will laugh at, but in the meantime... <laughs> In the meantime, it, it is a bummer. He's, he's not feeling too great right now. He is fine. He is okay. I'll show you the picture after. And so, but I have the privilege then on our Senior Sunday, which I think is fitting, to kind of share a message that's been on our heart for the last few months uh, in our youth ministry and what I believe that God has called us really as the church in America today to be uh, this kind of place. And I want to read a passage of scripture out of Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20 and verses 1 through 5. And if you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen. It says this, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, we'll read in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate cities of refuge, as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally, you ever done that? (laughs) And unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and plead their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into the city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive did what they did without malice or intent, unintentionally. I want to read one other scripture in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6, and this kind of lays the context for how this is carried over into the New Testament and how we as believers in Christ see our relationship to God. It says this in verse 18. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can find great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I'll stop there. I want to speak this morning on the subject, when you lose a bet. When you lose a bet. If you're taking notes, which I would encourage you to always do, when you lose a bet is what you can title it. When you lose a bet. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We pray that as we hear it, that we be the kind of people who allow it to take root in our hearts And though we may not change overnight, God, let it change us from the inside out that we might be the kind of people who reflect your nature and show it to others around us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You ever uh, lost a bet that you never intended to pay back? Anyone? Just me? No one? Okay. Well, that's what a youth pastor does is they make bets with students and then they just forget to pay it back. Um, I, I used to play this, this one video game when we had these video games, and I would play with this one guy. He was the kind of person that no matter how many times you lost the bet, you could just do double or nothing. Anyone ever do double or nothing because you, you want to finish winning? And so I was up to owing him $500. I'm not kidding you. And I was like, promise, dude, I, I, I got the money right here. Let's do one more. And, and I won finally, and he picked up the Xbox and slammed it on the ground. And uh, rightfully so. He just lost $500 because I, I did not want to live with the guilt of the fact that, bro, I was never going to pay you in the first place. 
You know what I'm talking about? Like, there was this one time with this kid, we were in high school, and I was, I was playing, uh, we, were, we used to meet as a church at a high school, and we were playing this game, trying to throw a water bottle from across the, from across the lunchroom into a garbage can. And we kept stepping back further and further, and I'd say, hey, whoever makes it first owes the other person $5. So we made it, and uh, he made it. He beat me, so I was like, double or nothing. So we stepped back a little bit further. He makes it again. Double or nothing, bro, up to $20, and he makes it before me again. And at this point, $20 is a lot of money. It still is today. I don't want to give someone $20 because I, I lost a bet to them. So I, I said, okay, double or nothing one more time. He's like, no, bro, that's 20 bucks. You owe me 20 bucks. I was like, all right, fine, I'll pay you. So I never intended to. I just kind of forgot about it. We come back to church next week, and he's like 12, 13 years old. He's like, hey, Taylor, where's my 20 bucks? And I'm like, oh, bro, I, I don't have any cash on me. I'll get it to you next week, hoping he'd forget about it. Next week comes by, he's like, hey, where's my $20? You know middle schoolers, they do not forget. You could tell them, like, hey, I'm going to give you a quarter on this date for you know, four months down the road, they're going to come to you on that day saying, where's my quarter? And so he comes to me week after week after week. Well, finally, it's like five, six weeks removed from this thing. And I, I, don't, I don't even, I, I, like I try and avoid this kid. Well, what ends up happening is his mom comes up after about five or six weeks, and the mom may or may not be here right now today, comes up to me and says, hey, so you said that if my son made that, the water bottle in the hoop before you did, or in the bathroom, whatever it was called, garbage, uh, that you'd owe him $20, right? I said, yeah, I just don't have cash. She's like, you better get it to him today. I was like, okay. <laughs> the one time I actually came through on a bet that I lost. Uh, so if, if there's a lesson to learn today, don't do bets with me if you plan on actually collecting on that because... Uh, I don't intend on paying you. So, <laughs> it's, it's just the truth, you know? It's like, hey, 10 bucks, whoever does it. I'm not giving you 10 bucks, okay? Whatever. You could say she came to avenge her son. She came as the third-party accountability. This was something that was common in those days, is there was third-party accountability. It, what happened in this is, I'll give you a little bit of context. If you'd accidentally killed someone, which it's kind of funny if that has to be a thing in the first place. Like, man, we got to make some laws about people who keep accidentally killing themselves, like killing others. Like, I don't know why that was a thing, but what would happen is there was this thing called the Avenger of Blood. And the Avenger of Blood would be usually the closest of kin, the closest family relative, would hear about this, and they would basically come to make right what you made wrong. They would come after you, and they would, and it was okay for them to do that. The avenger of blood could actually, if someone were to kill my relative, I, as the closest of kin, have the right now to go out and find you and kill you, literally. This is what would happen. So the avenger of blood, it was their job to see justice. And so, they would, they would do this, but if there was an accidental killing, what could happen is the person who committed the offense was given permission to go what, to what would be called a city of refuge. Now, city of refuge is in, in uh, Israel. There were 48 cities, and God instructed Moses to set up six cities of refuge in the area. And so what would happen is if you were running 
And oftentimes, it wasn't just accidental killings. It was you were running from something in your life, in your past, whatever. You're running for your life. You could go to the city of refuge, and you could be innocent there. What would happen is you would go to the entrance of the city gate, and at the entrance, the elders or the, what, the, the people who were standing there, they would, uh, would be the protectors, so to speak. They'd stand at the gate, and they would cover for you, and they'd act as if you were innocent, and they would provide you food and shelter. Essentially, no questions asked. You could come in and say, hey, I killed someone. I need refuge. They come in, and it's as if they didn't do anything out there. So even though the person was running from something that was legitimately awful, and they should actually address, and they should not just run from their past, even though that's still the case, you could run into the entrance of the city of refuge, and there you could be innocent, you could find rest, you could find shelter, you could find what you need. This is a picture of what I believe that God has called the church of Jesus Christ to be this day and age. How many of you know someone in your world that is running from something? You know, and if you don't, then maybe we need to get out of our world a little bit and find some people that are running. Because I, 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 I can speak best to high school students. And when I walk onto the campus of Kentwood or Tahoma and I see the state of where people are at, I see a lot of people that are running. And some of them run to different things. They run to misplaced identity, or they run to partying, or they run to some sort of substance, or they run to a relationship that they think will satisfy them. And we don't graduate as adults. We just call it different stuff, but we do the same thing. And everyone in some way or at some point in their life has been or is running from something. But the church of God is not called to be the kind of place that when people are running, that they come to our doors and they see a list of things that they have to check off before they can walk in. The opposite. They can run from the worst of stuff, come to the entrance, and they can say, come in. I don't know what you did out there, but frankly, I don't care. Get in here because here you'll find what you need. This is a picture of what the church is called to be. And yet oftentimes it's the opposite, isn't it? Where we create places. And it's in deep in our hearts. I mean, it's, it's, it's to be honest, each one of us does this. Like deep in our hearts, I don't think that even there's a person in here who would disagree. Say, so, yeah, we got to be a place where anyone can come. And you know, no matter what you've done, God forgives you. And we would say this in theory. But then what we do is we create all these walls that we build up and we create these entrances that you can't see and we make it really difficult. If you're using that analogy, it's like we, we, we make it this fort that you have to really look hard for. And unless you fit at the right time in the right way and you say the right stuff, that you're not going to get in and find what you need. And so we wonder why people are leaving the church or people are not coming to the church or the church today is losing its identity or People out there don't even want anything to do with the church or they want to suppress the voice of the church. Well, friends, maybe it's because for so long the church said, unless you do this, you can't come in. And we've got this toxic tribalism that says, get out unless you talk, act, and look like us. But God has called in these days, and I believe, actually, some of the reason that some of the social issues that we're seeing today, and we can be on every end of the spectrum, but some of the reason that these issues are arising today 
is to poke at the church to say, what are you really here for? Are you here to be the kind of place that says you're a club and, and you'll, you'll put, it's like, you'll put on your wall. You, you remember in high school, you got those things that says, you know, uh, the, the posters. It's like some random picture that has nothing to do. It's like an airplane in the sky that says achievement and that kind of stuff. And we've got our values like <laughs> inclusivity and welcomeness, if that's even a word. And we, we put these words up on our walls of our church, but we don't have it in our hearts, do we? Where we say you can come in, but we act as if you need to work it out first, bud. Because you don't look the part. Or we would let them in as if it's our, you know, we just let them in and then we say, okay, figure it out. You you sit over there. You can come inside, but we're going to go do our thing. But God has called us as the church to be places of refuge. Amen? Do you believe that? And if you don't, well, let's talk after. But I want to I be the kind of youth ministry, I want to be the kind of church, as real life church, man, that when people come here, they ought to know that no matter what they've done, where they've been, what their reputation is, even if they're here for the wrong reasons, that they find refuge right here. Man, there's some messed up people. There's some real messed up people. Walking around yesterday at Maple Valley Days, I didn't have to talk to see the messed up people. But I want, if there's a messed up person, where they're going to go, I want it to be here. Because I don't want it to be the broken relationship that just perpetuates their brokenness. I want it to be the place that will contrast their brokenness just enough in love that over time they start to find the healing that they know that they need. Because everyone needs it. Every human. What does that scripture in Hebrews say? It gives us a picture of what happened to all of us. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can find great confidence as we hold out for the hope that lies before us. Man, that's all of us. None of us has ever, like none of us, there's not one human in this building right now who at some point wasn't running from something. Or even now. Like you got your stuff together, you love God, you believe in the church, you're serving, and you even want to be the kind of person who is this right here. But if you're being honest, there are certain things in your own life that you keep in the closet. As if you're running from it, you don't want it to be a part of your reality. You're running from it. And I'm so thankful that in moments like that, that I have place that I can go to and I can find refuge for my soul. That when I can sit down at Applebee's with my friend at night, because it's the only option that we have late at night. And I can just be like, hey, here's where I'm at. And we can just talk it out. It's called refuge. And every human needs it. Here's what you can find in a city of refuge. If you're taking notes, number one, you'll find safety. I mean, you never know what it's like to need safety until you're running. I remember Noel and I, uh, when we were new youth pastors, we've been here now. And we moved back from college in 2009. So nine years we've been doing what we're doing, eight years on staff. And um, in that first year, year and a half, it was really difficult. Um, Being newly married, we're living at my parents' house, which was super great. But um, when you're newly married, living at your parents' house is not super great. You you get it, okay? (laughs) Not because you're not thankful for your parents. It's just you don't want to live there. Like, I did that. I grew up, I moved out, and I'm not trying to move back in, but we did. And so, um, but Noah and I were working opposite schedules, and we were volunteering as youth pastors, and 
um, it was just a, it was a challenge. We came into a difficult situation where we didn't, it wasn't like we were set up for success. It was a lot uh, to handle and, and we didn't have much to work with. And it was just a tough situation. Brittany, you remember you were there and Michaela and some of you were there right at the start, all seven of our students. And, and we, we started with, I mean, it was just a crazy beginning. And, and I remember just all the time feeling alone because not only did we not have a lot of friends and advocates in our same season, but if we did, we didn't have time for it. And I remember I, I, we were able to get work off and go to this uh, youth pastor's retreat in our first year. And we'd been doing it for about eight months at this point. And we go to this youth pastor's retreat uh, hosted by another church, and we got around a bunch of people who knew where we were at. And they'd been there, or they'd been there before, they were exactly where we were, and or some of them were just where we were a few months ago, and we sat around a table, and I remember talking till two, three in the morning sometimes at this retreat, just complaining, and just letting it out, and saying, man, I hate it when high schoolers do dumb stuff, because it makes us lose sleep, and, and, and we were able to just open up, and be honest, and be real, and be vulnerable, and it, it was so refreshing, because we came back, not more discouraged, but more encouraged, there's somebody else been where we've been, and now we feel like we're not alone, now we can thrive, now we've got the, 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 the energy that we need to keep going, it was so refreshing, and I never realized until we got into that season, we thought we were doing pretty good. We we're happy, you know, we're busy, but we're happy and, we're, and things are kind of working and it's, we're starting to find a groove. And I didn't even realize that I had been running so hard than what I needed was some refuge. And sometimes there's some people who don't even know they're running. They don't even know what they're running from. See, some of the people that are struggling today in our culture, they don't know it, but they're running. They're running hard. And they're running to all of these different things. Really, it's like they're running to what's open. And if there's this strip mall, and right in the center of it is the church, but the doors are shut, the blinds are shut, the lights are off, but there's all these other places, what they're essentially doing is they'll go to whatever door is open. And they may go into a door, find it's not working, come out, try another door. And you may have people in your world that you see or that you know that have tried 900 different things. And the job of the church is not to say we're open. Oh, you went in that door? Sorry, we're closed. It's just to stay open. See, these cities of refuge were designated. They were not places that, hey, on this day you open up. No, no, no. Designate cities of refuge so that when someone is running, that you are the place they can go to. And we're the church. We're the place that, man, if it takes someone so long, takes them years, takes them decades, takes them going up and down, takes mistake after mistake, that we're going to be the place that is open when they are ready. had a conversation just recently with a student. And they, I thought they were doing great. They'd been active and all that kind of stuff and serving and all this. And they told me, you know what, I just need, I need a figure some stuff out. And what I wanted him to know, there was, we had a long conversation, but I said, you know what, man? I just want you to know, no matter what happens, the door is always open here. But oftentimes, the door is open, but the door is not really open. We do things in our lives, or we do things as a church that says, even though we want to say it's open, it says 
the door is closed, or you've got to match up, you can't get in. Do we communicate an opportunity for openness and vulnerability that not only says but truly shows you can be real here? You can be yourself here. You can use your gifts here. You can find refuge here. You can find comfort and rest and whatever you need. There's no judgment. We're not going to look at you and base what we think about you on what we see on the outside. You can come in. That's what God has called the church to be. Um, number two, in a city of refuge, you'll find opportunity. Um, Joshua 20, verse 4, we already read it. It says, then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. Admit them into your city and then provide a place to live among them. I don't, you ever been to like a party where you knew one person? You ever been to one of those things? Uh, it's the worst. I was at one recently, and I'm the kind of person who like, I can hang, you know what I mean? I can go to most environments and feel like I can adapt to that environment and be cool. You know what I mean? Like, I'm cool enough. I may be 33, but I act like I'm 12, and so I can kind of find that average in there somewhere. And so I'm good to go into some of these situations. I feel pretty confident usually. But I remember recently we were at an environment where um, we only knew we were there for two people, but everyone else we did not know. So we go into this place, and we're there, and we don't know anyone, but it's a dark room, so you can't even see them. So if you wanted to get to know them, you're just going to have to hope that you know what they look like because it's so dark in there. So we're there, and we just kind of were sitting in a corner. And I remember, I remember just like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. Because the people that were there, everyone was there for them. So we weren't the only people in the room. We couldn't just cling on to their side. So we're there. It's just the most awkward thing. I remember we're talking to one person finally kind of clicking. And someone else who already knew them, literally, I'm standing there talking to them. They came and went in front of me and gave them a big hug and then held on to the hug. You know what I'm talking about? As if they needed to be rescued from me. I'm like, did I smell? Did I say something? Like, you know, one of those hugs where then you hold the shoulders, like, so great to see you. And then stood there, stayed there. And so I just stayed there for a second like, did this really just happen? The one person I'm like having a conversation with just got taken from me. Like literally right there holding the shoulders and did not let go. So I waited for about 30, 40 seconds and then I just pulled out my phone, you know. You ever, you know, pulled out your phone or just held your drink up to your mouth with the straw and you just hold your mouth on the straw for a long time because you don't know what else to do? So I've just got, I'm just doing this and I just backed away. And I went back into my corner. <laughs> it's the worst. It's funny because they, they welcomed me. I was welcomed there. In fact, I was even invited. I was given an invitation, I was given a ticket to come in, and I was not looked at as undeserving or out of place. But what happened is I had to fend for myself. It'd be as if I invited you to come to my house, and I open, you knock on the door, I open it, hey, welcome, come in, come on in, take your shoes off. And then I run around the the, to the kitchen, I grab myself a sandwich and I go upstairs and start playing video games and let you do your thing. But this is what we do sometimes in the church. And we got to ask ourselves, 
am I saying welcome? Am I saying come in? Am I saying you can belong here? You can serve your, you use your gifts. You can serve and, and find a place and you can do this. And I get it takes two to tango. Because you got some people who come in arms folded and their heart is folded too. And they're saying, don't come near me. And I get it. But oftentimes what we do is we open the door, say, come in, and then we peace out and expect them to figure it out themselves. And every once in a while, it'll even work, and it will deceive us into thinking that what we're doing is working because it worked for one. Oh, this, whether it be a ministry or you yourself or your group, and you say, well, they got in and they got in. So that means we're just fine. No, in reality, oftentimes, it's the, you know, the few will give you the deception into thinking that what we're doing is working when in reality, the message being portrayed to the world is we are not a place of refuge. We are not a place where you can actually come in and truly find what you need. Because what we're saying is come in, but sit in the corner or figure it out yourself. And I think I guess I'm talking really to Two types of people because some of you, you know that you need to help provide this. But others of you, you're in here and you're like, that's actually how I feel all the time. Like, I know I'm here and I know I'm not judged, but I don't feel like I'm a part of the family. I want to say to you and commit to you from my heart that I will do what I can to make you feel that to make you know that. And I know it's not up to me. It's not only up to me. The reality is, is that we all need to commit to this as the church and as individuals. See, if we look at it this way, a city of refuge is made up of houses of refuge. That we be the type of people who had the spirit that, that Rahab did. She didn't even have it figured out. But she, I mean, she's regarded in Hebrews as a person, a pillar of faith welcomed people in that she was the opposite of, provided safety for them. This, here's the thing. I feel like sometimes, and I'll, I'll be honest, this is what I do, is I'll create an environment and hope that the environment does what my job is to do. Right? So we got a welcoming environment here. I'll, I'll say it, we do. We got a great, amazing environment, atmosphere of worship, and preaching and stuff that is just transformative. It's awesome. We do a good, I think we do a pretty good job at it. We got, we got things that engage the soul, and I think that's important. But it is not the job of the atmosphere to do what only a person-to-person can do. See, person-to-person, like, like, I know the screen is nice. Like, it's, it's a new screen. It's good. We, we pushed for it for a long time because we had that old one, and it was getting old. But it can't, it can't give you advice. Like, it can't talk to you about what to do when your kid is not following Jesus. Um, and it's nice. Like, we can even put some different graphics up there, and it might feel a little better, but it still is not going to tell you how to, you know, turn your life around. You've been in this toxic relationship, and it's going to tell you what to do. Um, I, and I would love, I think maybe someday, you know, AI is making some strides, you know, and I think it's getting better and better. But the reality is, is nothing will ever replace the opportunity and the mandate on you and I as individuals, as families, to be the kind of hospitable, welcoming place that says, come in and actually find what you need. Like, not just in theory, don't just come in our doors, you can sit with me. 
It's not just a sign that we hold. It's a thing that, it's a banner on our hearts that says, you can find what you need and I'll be inconvenienced for you. I will bend over backwards. I will stay up late, get up early. I'll meet with you for coffee. I will show up to your stuff. I will come after you because I'm not a place that relies on the environment to do what God has called me as an individual to do. This is what God has called you to do and me and you and you and you to be houses of refuge. Wouldn't it be a shame if a bunch of people came in our doors, but their souls were lonely and had no place to belong? See, the true belonging, when you find somebody who's been in church, I was talking this morning with someone who's been in, in, a, in one church for 40 years. I can guarantee you when you talk to them, it's not going to be the teaching that kept them there, though that may be a part of it. What is it? It's the relationship and belonging that they have as people in a community that say, these are our people. When we weep, they weep with us. When we cry, when we laugh, they laugh with us and at us. We do this together. And that's what, it, that's what God's called you and I to do. But here's the challenge. Are we good at doing this for people that we know and love and trust? But we avoid it and chalk it up to boundaries when it's people that are running. Because the reality is, is if this is a picture for the church then there are people who are running in society. Friends, there are groups of people that whether they're running from the right or wrong thing, here's the thing that we do as Americans, we look at what they're running from and we cause it to build the wall that will keep them out. Stop judging what they're running from. Welcome them in with open arms. Love them, listen, look at their eyes and say, I love you, I believe in you, I value you. You're not just a number, you're not a statistic, you're not just a little kid who doesn't get what it means to build this country. You are a person and I want you in my life because I can learn from you and I wanna help you get what you need so that you can go out and do what God has called you to do. Friends, can we do this? This is what God has called us to do. But if we're not careful, we look at what they're running from, and it prevents us from letting them in. But if this is a picture, what does he say? I'll read it again. It says this. When they flee from one of these cities, they are to stand at the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of the city. And then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place for them to live. If the avenger of blood representing their past, their failures, their mistakes, everything they're running from, everyone they've wronged, if the avenger of blood comes for them, the elders must not surrender the fugitive. Wow. Let's do this. Can we do this? I want to invite the band to come forward as we get ready to close. Number three. In a city of refuge, you'll find a new tribe. In a city of refuge, you will find a new tribe. Because the truth is, and this is where the tension comes, is inside the tribe, you start to discover the benefits of the tribe. I think most of us, if we've been here for a while, we understand that in the church and with a Christian worldview, that life is better. Um, We believe, and that might even be some principles that, our nation or our communities or our ways of living have been built on. I don't want to discount that because that's actually true. But there are Christian ideals that if we're being honest, the whole world would just do, then we wouldn't have all this issue. We wouldn't have these struggles. 
if everyone just did what God said to do. Because he's smart. Come on, you know, all these people, you know, if only they did it. But, I mean, we know what they're looking for is a new way of life. What they're looking for is a new place to belong. What they're looking for is the church. We're not here to offer decisions. We're here to offer a whole new way of life. But here's where it comes to my life. Am I exemplifying an offering something that's different? If we're not careful, what our attitude, what our disposition towards people that are different from us, what our language, what our outlook, the way we talk about others, our spirit, our ethics, whatever it might be. And this can mean a wide range of things. But what it communicates is what I'm doing in my life is no different than yours, so you might as well pass by. Because people that are running, they don't know it, but, and they may, but for the most part, they don't know that what they're looking for is a way of life that will work better than what they're doing. Ed Holmes, our young adults pastor, he always says, what people are trying to find is, does Jesus work? Does Jesus work in your life? Because if he does, the reality is, is the way that you see your work and the way you see your home, the way you see your parenting, the way you see your friendships, the way you see everything will change. Not should, you know, it's funny because I'll talk to people who think, you know, I just want to be real. So I swear all the time and I have a bad, you know, because I don't want them to think that I'm this goody two shoes. Shut up. Be good. Live righteous and holy and honor God with your life because that's the best thing that will pull someone out of the pit of hell is when they see somebody who's not in the pit and has a way of living that will get you out of their pit. Come on, we, we are not called to be people who just live average and do what everyone else is doing. I'm not calling us to be separatists where we won't watch anything above a PG-rated movie. And we won't say a word. And if we do, we wash our mouths out with soap for at least an hour and we hide ourselves in a corner and beat ourselves until we get it. We can't do that again. No. The truth is, is that the way that we live is the best witness that we can have that says we're a place of refuge. Let's be holy. Let's be like Jesus. We, let's love fiercely. Let's not give in to the temptations of the day. Let's not give in to what everybody else is doing. And sometimes it's not just the temptations, it's the ways of thinking that people have that are driving them into the place that they don't want to be. But instead, let's be the kind of people who with our lives, with our disposition, that what we're screaming is, come in. And then when they come in, they say, sit down, I'm getting you some food. No, don't go into my fridge. I'm going into there for you. Want mustard on your sandwich? Absolutely, I've got you. I had someone in my house recently. They tried to. They came in and they are. They they were bringing us food for when we first when we first had the baby. When Noah had the baby, and I helped her. Um, and and they they came to our house and they started trying to do everything. I was like, sit down. You're here to see the baby and that kind of stuff. This is my house. You get to come in here and you sit. They said no. You're the ones who had a kid. You sit. And I said, okay, but. But isn't that what we're called to do? That we say, come in. When they come in, we say, sit down. Let me take care of you. 
This is what God's called us to do spiritually. Sometimes it does look like a meal. Sometimes it does mean you're, you might be someone who's had your day, you're retired or you're out of it, or you're beyond your point of effectiveness. Maybe your best thing you could do is reach down and find somebody else who needs to know that you still believe in them. What our young people today need to know is they've got some people who have shoulders to stand on. But so often we're saying, get off my shoulders. You don't, you don't look right. You don't act right. You don't do it right. No. Let's propel them up because they're the ones taking this after we go. Let's be places of refuge. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray for two kinds of people this morning. Number one, I want to pray for those who you want to become a place of refuge. You don't have to ask, is our church a place of refuge? Because it is. The question is, is as, as an individual, are you yourself committing to being a house of refuge? With our eyes closed and head bowed, I, I want to do a bold thing. Would you just raise your hand if you think there's an area in my life where I could create a sense of refuge for some people at work, at home, wherever. Would you just lift your hand straight up just so I can identify you? I wanna pray and I wanna feel the awesome straight up just so I can see them. There's a lot of hands. And uh, awesome, you can put your hands down. Now I wanna pray and I'm gonna do one general prayer, but I wanna pray for anyone who would feel, man, I've been looking for that refuge. Maybe you've been running from your past Maybe you're just like, you're new in town and you don't have a sense of belonging for your soul. You feel like a nomad. You don't know where you're at. You want to belong, but you don't feel it. And you feel lost. Maybe you just need a friend. I wanna pray for you as well. Would you just put your hand on your heart? Maybe you're saying for the first time ever, I wanna say yes to Jesus. Friends, at the end of the day, more than people are, God is our refuge that when I'm alone, I'm not alone because God is with me. Wherever I go, the comforter comforts my soul. Wherever I walk, God is walking with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Man, let's be the kind of people who know at the end of the day, all of us can go to the refuge that is God and we can point people to it. Would you, with your hand in your heart, if you raised your hand earlier or if this is you, would you put your hand on your heart? I want to pray. And if it's your first time, just keep it there. And I want to invite you to the prayer room in a moment after. But God, we thank you that you are our refuge. God, we thank you that we're not just trying to provide something that has not been provided for us. But instead, God, we thank you that we were able to run in our darkest moments and find all that we need in you. And God, let us be the kind of people who continue to run to you. God, when we make mistakes last night, let us wake up in the morning and say, God, still, I will encourage myself in you because you are my safety. You are my strength. You are everything that I need. God, let us run to you. And as we do, God, let us point others to you. God, we repent if we've been the kind of people who with our disposition, it says you're not welcome here. God, we repent if we've had attitudes that says certain people are sort of welcome, but really they're not. We repent and we ask God that you'd give us hearts of compassion that says no matter who you are, what you've done, what you're running from, you can find refuge with me. And God, I pray for every person who needs refuge. Would they find it in you? and find it in your church because we need community. And as we, God, as we seek that and as we look to provide it, 
would this be a beautiful example of what the city of refuge in today's day looks like. God, that our church would grow with people finding belonging and finding you. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Come on, everyone said.